dogs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defense. Just watch this. Welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Um, we're going to talk about the old quarterfinal round in the order they happened. So we thankfully get to start with uh, the absolutely brilliant Munster versus Toulouse match. A game which I still can't, for the life of me, say one, des- one team deserved to win over the other. It was so interesting and so equal, despite the fact that both teams play in such different ways. Uh, it was a joyous sporting contest uh, and I even went up to some Munster lads in the pub on Saturday night and said hard luck yeah well, it was an amazing game absolutely amazing uh, you know a classic and like you it comes down into the end of it they have to they have to get somebody to go through so they have a place kicking competition and whether or not a place kicking competition is the right way to do it like in soccer, it sort of makes sense because the whole idea, you can only score one way and it's by kicking uh, kicking a goal, <laughs> by scoring a goal. But in, in rugby, you can score a try, you can score a drop goal, you can score a penalty. So I think there could be a better way. And my feeling would be like... Stop well, it was tri- it's tries first and then it's try- red cards. Sorry, that's a good point. So it's a- you know, there's there's two avenues yeah. to go down before it's... I think, uh, they should play, I think they should play sevens instead of place kicking. Take off eight players, have three forwards, four backs, because like there's so much room in the pitch and all the players are shattered. So it's not going to take as long as a, as a place kicking competition. And it also, it's more rugby. I know sevens is a, a now it's sort of a different, it's a different branch of the code. It's as, probably as similar to a rugby union as rugby league is. But there's the potential, there's a kickoff in it, there's the potential for scrums, there's potential for lineups, there's potential for drop goals, tries, tackling, passing, which is a better test of rugby than a place-kicking competition. And I think it would be over. And would you do quicker. a sudden death or would you do a limited Sudden period? death, sudden yeah. death. Mm-hmm. I think if issues with the place-kick, you know, who, sorry, who takes the kick-off, um, you know, who gets possession first? They well, could do well, that look, AFL-style um, bounce-off. <laughs> <laughs> All of these are great ideas. <laughs> Now, I actually quite liked. I quite. I, I'm, I'm going to go back here and read out some facts that I recently learned. Yeah. The first year there were penalty shootouts in the European Cup. They were so bad at them. In this, in this, in the soccer, they were so bad at them that the referee called off the penalty shootout when one team hadn't quite lost yet because it, it was because one team had gone ahead, but they still could have equalised, and he called off the penalty shootout. I think it was Panathinaikos and someone else in the mid seventies. After I think. Uh, mm, one of Bayern's epic uh, European Cups, they won in a replay against Atletico Madrid. Uh, and there were no more replays after that. Okay. And the FA Cup was still clinging on to replays 50 years later, despite the fact that every other tournament in the world had got rid of replays. There's no space for any in any professional calendar for replays. I thought the place-kicking competition was more interesting as a, as a viewer in terms of technique than the one I saw in 2009 between Cardiff and Leicester. Oh, it's much better, yeah. Uh, much better. I think putting your, like, I know it puts more pressure on whatever, higher skill level. I thought, I think that kind of having to kick from the right, having to kick from the left, having to kick from the middle, and then doing the two distances, when it literally tested Munster's nerve 
Conor Murray has slotted that kick so many times, straight as a die, about 40 metres over the bar, and he just went, you could see he tried to kick it hard, and he, and he pulled it. Like, it was a total failure of technique under extreme, extremely, like, mental pressure. Mm. Whereas all the French guys just did their normal place kicks. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the game. Let's talk about the brilliant game. Munster literally play all defence, and Toulouse mainly play attack. Uh, made for a great clash of styles. Yeah, well, somebody uh, put up a, a cheat sheet that the commentators get uh, given beforehand, and it was it made the the point that Munster made have made the most tackles of the teams of the eight teams left in the tournament. So like they end up tackling a lot, uh, and it was the same in this game. They tackled they tackled their hearts out in this game, and also they won fucking million turnovers without Tyke Burn. Mm. <clears throat> uh, but the, I mean, that's what I mean when I say they defend a lot. They, but they almost attack by defending. You know, they they win turnovers in such crucial parts of the pitch, and that like gives them points and huge amounts of position because they can't seem to build position by passing and running. Yeah, it certainly it certainly gives them an awful uh, an awful big sort of morale boost when they get a big turnover. It seems like it's it's. I, th- I think it, I think it gives every team a big morale boost when they get a big turnover. But in that one, like they got some, like Peter O'Mahony in particular got some uh, one amazing. The one he went off after, mm. like that was that was uh, that was great. And there was another one which I think Jack O'Donoghue and Kendall both got. There was a who's the um, who's the right wing for Toulouse in France, but he uh, he made a lovely quick step. Uh, the ball was bouncing and he, he picked it up and then he managed to wriggle out of Peter Manny's and then he just went off to the races and he got tackled by Jack O'Donoghue who swung around and then himself and Kendall and it was right under the monster sticks. What a great turnover. Uh, and Kendall and O'Donoghue were at it all day. Like mm. Those lads played 100 plus minutes and Kendall even in the second half of extra time was still getting off the back of the scrum uh, with extru- like with a load of pace off the mark, uh, he had a, he had a great game. And as I was saying this earlier, as did uh, Jack Daly, who came on, who played very little rugby at all for Munster. I think this was his sixth or seventh appearance, and as far as I know, all of them have been as a replacement. But he just threw himself into things. He made a load of tackles, and uh, you could just you could see. Certainly, from from my point of view, like like he was he was playing like that because it was like for Monster, you know. Like he wasn't playing like if he if he was playing for Sale or something like that, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have been able to hit those levels. Uh, so I was I, I thought he had a, I thought he did really well when he came on because I thought like when he was named on the bench, I was going Jesus Monster, like oh, they have a load of injuries in the back row, or else frankly he wouldn't have been near it. Uh, but he did really well. Came on, you know, he he got up to the pitch of the game and uh, and and uh, did it did it extremely well. It it's a great. Ooh, I want to say it's advi- advisedly. I want to say it's a great competition, uh, or I want to qualify it that a lot of we we gave some credit to the EPCR for the fact that the the two leg ties had worked out a lot better than we feared mm. and they've got rid of them now 
for next season. <laughs> and then um, with the run of fixtures in between them and the the quarters, the quarters are brilliant now. Like there's only a week turnaround to the semis, and you're going like, like the fact that one of the matches is in lawns. You know, you're not on a home ground. You have to organise the pitch, and doubtless there was contingency plans. Excuse me, in place by Racing, because they're going, well, we're playing at home, we're playing sale, the chances are we'll be going through. So I doubt they're making the phone call on Sunday night to uh, sales or, you know, Lons' answering machine. But it's, there's a huge momentum behind, there's a huge appetite for those cross-border. Like for, for Ireland, it's it's just really appealing. Um playing against like a big English team, big French team, cause, or like, you know, a big Irish derby where it really means something. It And it's, it's been, it's, it's been on for so long. It's such a, it's such a part of the Irish rugby calendar that all of these things sound really obvious, but the, the appetite for the match, um, as evidenced by the crowd and how much the crowd are into it. And again, like another well-worn theme, how, representative of society for one of the like that crowd was like there was there was a mix of ages there there was a mix of genders um there was people in their colors like there, there was people there to follow their team and there was empty seats because like you're playing in dublin you're not playing in cork or limerick and there's a lot of people in dublin who support munster but still like people from munster have to travel up there's an expense there's the time there's the you know logistics all that sort of stuff um that like they really they wanted to be there, whereas again for the Six Nations you go people want to be there to, you know, have lunch and then go out afterwards, not exclusively, but you know for a large proportion of the crowd, like it's it's a social event and the IRFU sell the tickets and that. So that again, the kind of the buzz that created mm. was added to the sense of occasion and um, those ticket prices obviously ticket prices lower ticket prices yeah well, yeah I mean. I, I, I would have gone to the match only for the fact that I wanted to watch the Leinster match and I knew if I went to, I didn't know that I was going to go to extra time, but I knew if I went to the match, you'd be around the stadium slowly moving towards a, a very busy pub for yeah. 30 minutes and miss whatever the first half. Um, but yeah, the I mean, town was swarmed with red jerseys from like Grafton Street from like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And you know, so some commentator, journalists rather were saying, oh, it's the best atmosphere in the Aviva since we beat the All Blacks. So I wasn't at, I wasn't at the Munster game, but like, it looked a hell of a lot better in the atmosphere of the All Blacks game. Like, I was at the All Blacks game, and it was good, but like, it's it's a load of people in their civvies. Uh, two by two. Yeah. You know, it's it's not, like, you can't buy tickets for, you know, for eight people. For, the, you know, for 160 quid or 200 quid. Like, it's basically, whatever, 100 quid each. Uh, <laughs> And you're surrounded by people you don't know, and uh, so I thought. I thought the atmosphere for that. Uh, I, I have to say, I don't, I don't think Munster really lost anything out by, as it turned out, by uh, playing in Lansdowne Road. They had a savage uh, supporter base, and the noise was amazing. Um, the pitch, I think. I don't know. I think Tolman is like a pretty big pitch as well. I don't think that's a massive difference. Yeah. So then, like you know, we we said beforehand, oh, we we talk about the match, and we're kind of talking about the the, the occasion mm. rather than the match. So if I was like, what hit you know what what hits me like in in no particular order, um, I thought that 
this is after the event. I thought Conor Murray played really well. So oh, yeah. the last time we convened or the last podcast we had, I had him left at home in order to see what Doe could be like with Casey and, and Gibson Park. And you were saying, no, no, I'd bring Murray because like Murray's a finisher. He brings on all that experience. Like he's your best sub. And he started, and I, I thought he had a really good game. Um, and I, I thought he still looked pretty fresh going off. But then I... Really, I came to the opinion that in his absence, I was there going, Casey's better to start this like this match. Like when you want to play really fast and you want to have buzz, Casey's like he's really good at bringing that game, but he can't control a game anything like Murray can. And mm-hmm. so when you say control, like <laughs> what do I mean? Like he can't play slowly with the, yeah. with the same effect as Conor Murray has. Like he's he 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 kind of looks a bit lost by it. Um. Kind of, he, like he completely looks lost. He's 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 had a pretty poor season when Munster have been playing slowly, and then when Munster up the pace, he looks absolutely brilliant. Mm. So that that's one, um, which is surprising because I always thought, always have been of the opinion you start your best players, and the whole kind of finishers thing is a load of Eddie Jones nonsense. But I do look at it now, and I go shit, like it's actually a thing that certain players. Like Murray has an all court game. If you were chasing the game and you, like, if you were forced to bring him on before you had to, you'd sort of go, Do you know what? He's good enough that this can work out. We're going to lose something. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's, because he's, we've often said, like, great teams are able to play the game well in more than one way. And Connor Murray, while he's not the player that he was, he was a great player. He can still, he can do more than one thing. Um, I thought the Munster front row got absolutely monstered. Uh, I thought their sub front row did better. I thought that Toulouse, like, uh, like Toulouse went for that 6-2 split, which isn't a matter of opinion, but they, they push. There's a brio and a dash to Toulouse about the way they attack and they offload and they run and they turn. And, and Uga Mola's brought back what I thought had disappeared, like a real Toulouse-end st- style of match. Their forwards are absolute monsters, and Huge. they go for a six-two split, like, and they just bring off another pack of monsters off the pitch, and it's it's hiding in plain sight, but it, very difficult to scrummage against, very difficult to like to compete against, and that, in a way, kept to lose in the match that they were able to eke out scrum penalties when they needed to, they were able to put monster break monsters pressure when they needed to by by going for big ones. Uh, both teams had very good lineouts, mm. um, and I thought Chris Farrell played very well. Mm. Um, I th- and like I thought Earls and Zebo were dangerous. I thought Zebo played. I thought he showed big game temperament, but I thought that his kind of fitness is. Like the game didn't come his way, and a lot of times in the URC, the game comes his way, and he'll pick off a try or two mm-hmm. tries, maybe even three tries, because he's he's a brilliant finisher, but he doesn't have the work rate of Matt Hansen or Andrew Conway or James Lowe, which is what Farrell wants. And I thought that everything that came his way, he dealt with very well, including getting smashed and getting picking himself back up again. Like uh, he's a tough hombre, but. He couldn't get himself into the game as much as Conway might have. Yeah. And and, and Zebo brings more than Conway in terms of distribution. But Conway's so fit and so uh 
so persistent. Like, yeah. But, but like ultimately a fitness thing. It is a fitness thing. Um, and what else? I thought Carberry was pretty good. Um, Dialende as always really good. Um, thought starting back row was great. Starting back row was really really good. Um, what did you think was good about Carberry's game? Just that he he didn't dis he didn't disappear and he there wasn't a kind of a meandering shapelessness to like say, say, say take Mike Mike Haley's try which was mainly due to Chris Farrell's break it was like he was he was close enough to the gain line he gave the pass the back line were actually there and sometimes with Joey that isn't the case like sometimes they're, they're like the people around him aren't arranged or he starts on one side and has a look and then he decides to run over the other side um there, there didn't seem to be that like I, he so he was he was that was that was his that was kind of what I thought was well in, in in some ways it feels a little bit like there, there was quite a specific focus on how the Munster backline would play which would be to get like to what the second or third channel and then put the ball in behind Toulouse and turn them around. And so maybe it gave his like decision-making a bit of a... Yeah, he still did some of the same things, that, some of the same bad things that he's done, which is like running at 45 degrees, eating up space outside him. Um, so uh, that was... like that. I don't know how that's still in... Well, I do know how it's still in his game, but it shouldn't be. So here, here myself talk about it. I don't know, are these all my biases? Is this the only way I can see it? Or was this match completely emblematic of where Munster are now? That once Van Gran has announced his departure and then with Roundtree being appointed as his successor and that bit of certainty, Munster have been far better. Like they've been far better without Van Gran this season. Like they played their bet like they played in Wasps, backs against the wall. Had a really good performance. With Ian Costello coaching them, with yeah. With Ian Costello coaching them because um, Van Graan was stuck in South Africa and now with Van Graan leaving they've had a really good run and emotional connection with the supporters and you know loads of turnover loads of heart loads of covering for deficiencies loads of like getting the most out of what they of what they have yeah um, and I just feel it was it was like it was it was the story of Munster as they are now in an afternoon mm. like with young guys like Kendallin and like a Jack who's not a young guy, but he, he's a guy. Jack O'Donoghue's best position is number eight, and he's an undersized number eight, but he's playing his best rugby in his best position. Like Kelsey Priest, Kendallin, um, playing at number seven. And you wonder, geez, like if Hodnett and Coombs and Tyke Byrne were fit, will Kendallin be in the squad? But it was almost like the, the opportunity kind of came his way, but he really took it. Um, Fionin. Witcherly had a had a great game, and I was looking at him going, "Jesus, like I, I'm laughing at this because we, we were chatting about him a few weeks ago, and I was looking at him like you know I was obviously cheering for Munster, and I was looking at him with my Munster hat on, going like you gotta love this guy if you're if you're a if you're a fan of the team or if you're picking the team, like you'd pick this guy every single day of the week. He's so fit, he's so game, he's he's hard." And then Hugo and I were chatting beforehand going, every province has somebody like him at the moment. Like Alan O'Connor starts for Ulster. Uh, Ross Maloney starts for Leinster. Like they all have these fit, game, hard, small, um, 
relatively unathletic undersized second rows who are never going to be big enough or fast enough or strong enough to play international rugby for 40 caps and then I was also thinking with my Leinster hat on that if you're like if you're Leinster watching Munster you want them to reduce Irish players so you see Kendallin and you go this is good like hopefully now he gets fitter and harder and develops and becomes Josh Vanderfleer or better um as an open side and like this is the way his career goes or he becomes David Wallace again but I'm also watching going oh, come on like Pick big Thomas, Tom. Pick Thomas Ahern. <laughs> like pick and again, like keep on saying it, but you're there going, for all the reasons we've outlined, he's six foot nine, he's athletic, he can handle, he he creates moments. Like he is a guy who could play 40 times for Ireland. So you're watching it with these different hats on that if you're if you're from the province, you're only watching it with your provincial hat on. And if you're not and you're and you're you're seeing all the good things that your heroes do. And if you're not from there, you're watching it. I would say a bit more rationally and you're just there going pick the best athlete and just make it happen yeah for the green team put on the green jersey well I, um, regardless of picking between Witcherly and uh, Tom Hearn it's more like the you in particular have been calling out for the for Frank Gran to make more selections of the self-produced monster players Oh, but this and, is strange because he started to this season after yeah. five years in the job. Like his teams have been much younger this season than they were the previous season. And it's not just since he uh, it's not just since he announced that he was leaving. It's more so since then. But even at the start of the season, so my, like I've thought about it a bit. And was he like this is the first full crop of players I've seen from their first year intake into the academy? True like through four years and now I'll start picking them. Um, I, I, I like I felt that with the exception of Kendall and, and Casey, everyone's been a year too late. Uh, but, um, I, I go just, ahead, sorry, I interrupted you. Well, uh, yeah, it's just um, a lot of the things we were talking about in terms of the occasion and, Munster fans really showed how how behind their team they were after whatever commentary or criticism there was of over certain crowds uh, and all that beforehand. But like the easiest way of getting you know people outside is by picking a young guy from the academy and going like we reckon this guy's the next big thing. Oh yeah, and like it's it's like, it's cheap heat or whatever. But it's like who wants to see Chris Cloda play any like a guy who's not an international level South African just taking up a space for like one of two back rows worth of under 20s Grand Slam winners. Like that's what I see when I see those guys. And no offense to him. Like I'm sure he'll get a job some some other club. But like He's going fast. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't like I, I don't want to see any of those guys playing in Munster jerseys. And like you know, I, I imagine there's a bit of short termism from Van Fran when they're kinda like, you know, he, he needs to win something now, we need to win something now. And maybe he's going he needs to build a legacy. His best chance is doing something in, in his fifth year before he goes to Bath and blooding all these players will be the biggest thing he can win more than a European Cup, which is unlikely to win with the, the route they have to the final. Mm. It, it, one of my reactions immediately after the match, and I asked myself the question, because um, a lot of the South Africans are devout, like they're, they're religious, um, and Van Gran walked to the middle of the pitch and he, he, he kind of, he hunkered down. He looked up to the skies and then he hunkered down and I was, I was wondering to myself, 
is he is he praying? But I also so I I don't want to if he's devout and like that's his immediate thought, then I I I understand why he did it. And it's very intense being a coach. But in in the week that in the week after uh, Pep got uh, got munched by Real Madrid um, and then gave an interview and said, like, I haven't spoken to the players for two days. I was struck by reading about Bill Walsh. So Bill Walsh, when he coached the 49ers, um, they got beaten some big match and he was so intense and he was doing like the coaching job and the front office job and he'd come up with all these technical and he was just exhausted. And... Like basically, they got beaten this match, and the season ended. And he never brought the players in. He never brought them all together. And a load of the players, he lost. Like he lost the dressing room. It's such a cliche, but like a load of the players really held it against him. That, like these are extroverted, physical, in the moment guys, and they were like, "How come he didn't? Like how come he didn't go?" And I was there going, "Would you not, like?" walk onto the field with Peter Romani, would you not put your arm around Ben Casey? Would you not, like, commiserate with Conor Murray? Like, would you not go around your team? Like, as a coach, it's not about you. It's about your team. So then, like, I was talking about Pep in order to bring the comparison with uh, Klopp because Liverpool got beat by Sevilla and all the players in the UEFA Cup in, I don't know, four seasons ago, and all the players were really disappointed. They were in Bruges and they were just like, oh, I just go to my room and like, I don't know, read my phone and try to get to sleep. And Jurgen was like, we are all going out to the hotel lobby and drinking. And the players loved it. And they were going, I didn't want to do it. He said we had to do it. And it ended up being brilliant. And I, so I don't think he's cut out for the head job. I don't think, like you think it's all X's and O's. It's not all X's and O's. At, at a certain level, Everybody knows their X's and O's. It's about like connection. It's about connection. Yeah. So I, I think I think good riddance to him. Yeah, he's got a terrible job taking he over. He has got well. a shit job, man. They yeah. are appalling. Yeah. They They're are rubbish. appalling. <laughs> and apparently the owner is like fucking picking the team and all this stuff. But anyway, what did you think of Toulouse? I thought they were uh, they're weird. They have such talent in the box. I thought for 60 minutes, uh, DuPont played the worst game I've seen him play two years. Kept him Dublin back on himself and just thinking, I'll Superman away out of this at some point. And, every, and then every time he's getting closed down, going like, ooh, my superpowers don't seem to be working. And then uh, they brought on a scrum half towards the end and he became literally just a free-roaming general in the back, yeah. doing whatever he wanted and whatever needed to be done. So if he went in to go, he would go in scrum half if your man went on a break or was somewhere else or done something else. Uh, or otherwise, he would just stand behind the out half and like sort of tell him what to do or go in out half. And he just ran the show from the end of the game. And I was, I was sort of shocked how little they competed at the breakdown um, and how much they still... Or still, or have gone back to depending on a game where they back their talent to offload things, and then Munster were just not going to let them like recycle the ball easily. Mm. So I, after criticizing Van Grant, I thought tactically Munster really got it right. I thought that they made a huge effort to shut down um, Dupont, and I think that they you, you don't even have to give him that much to run into. Like he he'll take on so much himself. 
But every opportunity they got to scrag him with two people or hit him with two people, they hit him. And they held him at the bottom of rooks and they, they gave him little gaps to run into so they could get him. And they just, they completely took him on. And they did a great job of nullifying him. And I also, like I can imagine Eddie Jones watching that match going, oh, he's mighty. It's the free rival row, mate. <laughs> There's positionless rugby. I'm going to get like a DuPont man and I'm just going to play him wherever. And you're going, who, who Eddie, are you going to get from the English domestic game to play like Antoine DuPont? But it's like it, it works if you've got a player that good. I thought it was a measure of him, though, that he it's like a measure of him that he, he, he recovered his game as well. Yeah, so yeah. He must have been known as like, oh, wait a minute, I'm stinking the gaff out here. I need to do something totally different. And, yeah. And get away from the big back row who keep on jumping on top of me and put myself farther away so I can control the game. I'd be dis so to go back to Toulouse, I'd be disappointed if Leinster lose to Toulouse. Um given the fact that they had to travel back to France after playing 100 minutes in a plane, then have to travel back to Ireland from France less than a week later in a plane again. Um, to another full stadium. To another full stadium, like a bunch of big men cramped into a plane. Um, and I think that they've lost a lot of matches this season to lose. And I, I, I don't think they've got the fitness to play the way that would best suit that team. I think they've made a decision to go with piano movers and piano players to an yeah. almost ridiculous degree. Like they, they've got some, like they're, they're, some of their backs are outrageous, like the obvious ones, but... They're all out of absolute mould as well, apart from Aki. Yeah. They actually have two moulds in, in Toulouse. It's like you've got your, you've got your swarthy, like, uh, southern French, and then you just got a load of Polynesians. <laughs> like they don't have anybody with blonde hair. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, uh, but if they beat Leinster, they could win it. You know, like I, I think they'd beat... I think they beat either of the other two French teams in the final. Like, it's in the south. It's in Marseille. So they're playing La Rochelle, who are from the west, or they're playing Racing, yeah. who are from Paris, in Marseille. Like, Toulouse are going to win that match if they beat Leinster. But I'd be disappointed if they beat Leinster. I, I absolutely agree. Like, the Toulouse pack uh, is huge. Said Captain Obvious. They, played, they came over and played a semi-final against us three years ago with another huge pack. Uh, I remember Kano was their smallest, lightest player at number eight. They had Elstad and Joe DeCorey on the flanks, Richie Gray and Rory Arnold in the second row. I was fucking, you know, Charlie Famuina started that game as well. So, um, like that's the way they're going. They have no, they have no open side in their squad. Like they don't have anybody who is who who play. <laughs> They, don't, they have no open side in their squad. <laughs> like, I don't need to expand on it. Everyone, all of their flankers are like, the closest they come to an open side is a blind side. They don't even have six and a half. Like, they have, sometimes like they played, uh, they played three second rows. They started with three second rows against uh, Munster. And then they brought on Jalanch, who is, you know, six foot four and 110 kilos. Uh, and then like, I thought my Vaca made it. Marshawn, in my opinion, is, is probably the best hooker in the world, but coming back from a, an injury and had a much quieter game than I expected him to have. I think my is better than him. Vaca was fucking amazing. My Vaca took on so much ball and was so dumped and is such a happy warrior out there. And I mean that in the political sense, not in any way 
just uh, he's a smiling warrior, but like he is so up for it and he's so ready for argy bargy or just running over people. He fucking loves it. Now I felt it too often. He took ball off the back of malls or going forward in order to run at somebody, which I just think is like, you're just going to get a penalty out of this or else you're going to get 10 yards and then a penalty. You know, just, you were just fulfilling your uh, desires to run in, run at people. So like the Toulouse mall wasn't as effective as it should be. And a lot of the time they got it started in the second half and you're going, why are you taking this off the back? But they did. Um... He was fantastic. Cyril Boy got his hands on the ball an enormous time. Now, one thing about the extra time is that guys who came on, like Marchand was replaced on 46 minutes. Like maybe the whole front row replaced on 46 minutes. So you're thinking 45-35 uh, split. Actually worked out as a 45 plus... 55. Is it 55? Yeah, yeah. 55 minimum. And, you know, uh, second half went into injury time. The first half of... of um, of extra time extra went time. into time and the second half extra time went into injury time so it's like 100 minutes became 105 108 minutes it's a lot of rugger and then even at the end it's not a fucking rest yeah you're not breathing as hard but you've got this intense concentration looking at these kicks go on for another you know 10 minutes like that is not that's not really recovery time standing up because you shouldn't sit down because your teammates are out there uh, so I think the fatigue, because even a half an hour in, there was a there was a lot of ball in play in that game. And a half an hour in, I remember seeing there was a monster had a defensive rook on their 22. And there was four to lose forwards. Three of them had their hands on their knees. And one of them had his hands on their hips. And he quickly went to his knees. Like they were tired already. Now, most of those were, the, they were in the front five. And even when Joe DeCorey came on, like Joe is 38 now. We wrote an article of, about him 2011 World Cup 2011 World Cup one to watch yeah one of the, I think the one out of ten that we got right <laughs> <laughs> um, and like he's still a devastating ball carrier but it, like very infrequently now like he's a huge lump of a fella and 38 year old and fucking a lot of miles on the clock so it's obviously a big name to come off the bench but you know, if the if the tempo's up, like he's he's not in the game that much. Whereas Mavaka is always in the game. Mavaka's a great engine. Digs like a demented mole there. As the Munster match ended, uh, I walked down to the pub to watch the Leinster match, and it was pretty much ending as well. Seventeen <laughs> nil uh, as uh, Henshaw went over the line just beside the sticks, and. Um, I, I I was reminded of um, something you you said to me a number of times is that if you go twenty points behind a rugby game, you're probably going to lose. Oh yeah, and and, and uh, just to emphasise this point, I watched um, on the Bank Holiday Monday. I watched the whole of the greatest Test match of all time from two thousand, um, Australia yes. and New Zealand with one hundred eight thousand people in the crowd, which is amazing. And um, Australia went to whatever twenty four nil down and got it back to twenty four all. But they did lose. <laughs> they did. And it's a magnificent match. Yeah, best game ever. Best game ever. Yeah, I, I, that, when, when Ireland lost to Argentina in the 2015 quarterfinal, we, we actually went 17 nil down after 12 minutes. <laughs> it, was, it was even quicker than answer. But in the aftermath of that, there was a, a journalist who was writing in 
the New Zealand Herald. I went looking for the article yesterday, I couldn't find it. So her column was called Stat Bunker. And in the history of matches in the Ruby World Cup only, so international matches and then a subset of that, Ruby World Cup matches, if a team had gone down, if a team went up by 20 points, they had a 95% chance of winning the game. So you win 19 games out of 20. Uh so we watched we watched the Leinster game together, and um, you know you, there's always a sense of nerves when you're watching your own team. Uh, but if I watch that game as a neutral, and you, you're looking at a team who've you know four times four times in a row been league champions, have been twice finalists in the la- of the European Cup, once a winner in the last four years, and they've gone twenty nil up after half an hour. You're going, game's over. I, even before they went twenty nil up, had, had, I would have been incre- I would have been very disappointed had Leinster been beaten by Leicester. Uh, acknowledging that Leicester are top, that Welford Road is a is a very demanding stadium to go to. Le- that Leicester team hasn't won anything, mm-hmm. and I just don't think they were prepared for what was coming at them. I don't like. And go back to like they just they haven't been in a match like that before. And you know, Borthwick asked the question, how many guys have played Leinster in a Heineken Cup match before? But even like they were in the Challenge Cup last year. Leicester. Mm. They have they haven't played anybody like that. Like they haven't played and there's very few, but like they haven't played Toulouse, they haven't played La Rochelle down there, haven't played La Rochelle down there, they haven't played Racing in Paris. Because like Welford Road like you can't just measure yourself in terms of welfare. I haven't played Claremont over in France. Like you know, you, you have no, to they be. Did. This season. Sorry, this season they did. But sorry, yeah, sorry. So okay, so fair enough. But like they, in in previous seasons, rather like to, uh, and they got beat by Montpellier in the final last year. So you know, look, allow for um, some sort of uh, poetic over elaboration. <laughs> but like uh, <laughs> they. They, had, they hadn't, like, I don't know, there, there wasn't a real cauldron where they'd they'd withstood or they'd learned something from playing in a Champions Cup match against better opposition away um, and somehow come away from it. And there's internationals in the Leicester team and they're very good, but, like, Leinster had been at home for two weeks concentrating just on that match and having the absolute legs run off by Stuart Lancaster. And I was thinking to myself, like, Leinster are going to play these guys off the park. And Leicester won't be able to shake them. So even if Leicester get ahead by 7 or 10, they won't be able to shake Leinster. Leinster will, will keep coming at them all the way through the match. Leicester will need to be concentrating all the way through this game I just can't see it. So, well, like when Leinster, I was more, I was disappointed Leinster didn't win by thirty. Yeah, I was, I was nervous going into that. I, I watched both uh, Leicester games. Sorry, sorry, it's not from the beginning. Like, having yeah, been twenty nil up. Oh yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I watched both Leicester's games against Claremont. Now, Claremont still have, it's, it, they don't have an aura anymore. They still have a reputation because uh, they have great fans and the stadium's always packed, and they, they still have the same names that you remember, like Fritz Lee. And Raka and uh, some of their other players, um, but they're they're like they're definitely not the team that they were at their peak. So, but they're still like it's still they're still a good team who played some good rugby. And Leicester did a good job in them home and away. And I was thinking, oh Jesus, like Leicester are they're at home, which makes a huge difference. 
the pitch is small, which makes a difference as well. You know, it's not wide. It's certainly not long. And they watered it. Yeah, they watered <laughs> they the shit out of it. That was funny. Half hours. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, they beat Bordeaux over there this year. So fuck it. Like I don't know. Um, uh, Bordeaux, Bordeaux are Bordeaux are a nothing team. They're the Montpellier team. Yeah. European frauds. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, fair enough. And yeah, so I was a bit worried going into, but like probably probably shouldn't have been. Um, and then well, the thing that struck us both watching was like second half was just oh, a fucking dog half of rugby. Like when I say dog, I mean shit. Loads of knock-ons. Like Leicester are a well-coached team. But you're you're just there going, why are you making so many fucking mistakes if you're well coached? Uh and it's like they didn't play well out there. They got out coached. Like we went to this three at the back quite a lot and they still proceeded to kick the ball up in the air to uh to three guys who are all, you know, really good in the air. And their attack from hand with one exception for the try, which is basically just George Ford and a connection with, with Chris Ashton's two players. It's not it's not really a fucking strategic or tactical attack. It's just two good players playing together. Their attack otherwise was really blunt and cat-handed even at times. And the thing about Leicester, somebody was said to me, oh, this is like their first season under Borthwick, they're building, they're going, well, they're not fucking building anything because Genge, their captain and their totem is going to Bristol. George Ford is going to sail. Borthwick will probably take over from Eddie Jones. Uh, Wigglesworth is 39. Dan Cole is 35. Ben Youngs is 33. Nemanja Nadolo is going to uh, the Waratahs, going back to the Waratahs. Chris Ashton is 35. You're going, like this, they're not going to have that team together next season. Mm. And like <clears throat> you're losing a couple of really big players there in Genge and Ford. I think the significant thing, though, is that they've reversed the fortunes of the club when they were, I don't know, whoever Jordan Murphy took over from, they were already tanking. Matt O'Connor. Matt O'Connor, there you go. Tanker. (laughs) And then Jordan Murphy didn't, you know, was sort of put in an unenvious position of trying to, you know, turn his boyhood club around a bit of an Alan Shearer style. Yeah, he did a bad job as well, though. Um, So, I mean, Borthwick's building in terms of He's rebuilding Leicester's um, reputation, I think, more than he's building a new team. And I, I was also just watching him give his like media trained straight bad answer, where he was obviously seething that Leinster had two weeks to prepare for this. But he was like, "No, that's just what we have to come up against." And he's just like, "I'm so annoyed. I'm going to be really polite about it." And I was just like, "You are the next England head coach, definitely." Yeah, yeah. What about, what about Leinster's performance? I, I, I I've. Such high expectations of Leinster at the moment with, with no injuries, with a really improved Irish team. So loads of guys coming back from the Irish camp in good, in, in good form, uh, playing a very similar style of rugby so they can sit back in with a really high standard of training given the performance of... Like all those guys who played against Leinster, sorry, played against Leicester, they didn't go to South Africa. The team that went to South Africa where within a score of the Sharks and the Stormers down there. So they're getting that competition and training on a weekly basis that I I think they'd be disappointed that three of them were sat down by the dummy runner in, in Chris Ashton's try. I think I think the Dolly try, like, you know, look. Yeah, that's irrelevant. It was in garbage time. Um, I do think on the review they'll be disappointed that, 
I just repeat myself, like the three of them would all bite on the same fella. You know, like, like it's 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 forward and Ashton, like you need to be aware of that stuff. You know, like you need you need to just you need to be on your metal and it's because they're very good. But I think I just think that they're very high standards. I thought that the I thought they left points out there. I didn't see a replay of um the end of the first half, just after it had gone twenty nil, Leicester still had time to kick off. And Ashton kind of overran the kick and Hugo Keenan oh, took yeah, it yeah, and yeah. then went down the touchline and he kicked it and it, it hit it bounced Stewart's, into a, it's Stewart's heel, yeah. Stewart's heel and it went into touch. But I was thinking to myself, I think Hugo had a few guys with him. I don't think he needed to kick it. Like I think and they just they never went to a wide angle and they never replayed it to give you an adequate look. But I was there going, I think they left seven points out there. Um, that on another day when things are going for you, they might have got. So I think, you know, Porter would probably be non-plus to be penalised as often as he was against Dan Cole. Like, I don't think Porter would, would have any great concerns about Dan Cole as a scrummager. So I think, like, you're you're playing away against Leicester with Raynal. You know, you're going to get penalised. Um and I know he sort of says he got it wrong, but he just seems to keep getting it wrong in those scrums, like with the the tricks and the illegality, and he penalizes the wrong team. Or he just he just penalizes stuff that you're kind of going, hmm. He could give he gave one like to Ala Ala Toa, where you're going, I don't know how he got that penalty. And you just sort of going, like, I don't know what you're doing in these. Like no one knows. But um I think they'll have really enjoyed playing against Ellis Genge, like to the extent that uh Munster went after uh, DuPont, like DuPont is an absolute bag of tricks and Leinster were just looking and going, Ellis Genge will never pass the ball. He will keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. You can just double team him all day and smash him. And he picked himself up after about 20 minutes with blood rubbing down his face and you go, like, this guy isn't going to go away. But like, he was there after the match going, oh, you know, stop talking about moral victories. Oh, I think we could have won it. And you're there going, Ellis, man, like how hard did you get hit in the head? You were never going to win that match. You were never in it. Like you were 20 nil down after seven, or sorry, yeah, 20 nil down after 17 minutes. Like you got the absolute snot beat out of you. And you're, you're kidding yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. They did a great job uh, getting on top of him. They obviously wanted a piece of him. Everyone. He's, just, he's not going to pass, though. Yeah. So, like, as as well and all, like, and th- this idea, like, if something you said to me a few years ago, like, Ellis Genge, like, is a mouthy guy and, like, I don't know, wrong side of the tracks and all that sort of stuff. And, like, he looks like the kind of guy who, if you banged into his car, like, it would end in a, it'd end in a fight. Like, not in a kind of always swap insurance details. But in professional rugby, like they're all trained athletes. And what you were saying is like, you're not you're not born tough, you're trained tough. And you're sort of going like all of these guys, like all these nice posh robots that Leinster have playing for them, they all kick the crap out of each other on a weekly basis for their job for four years just to get into that environment. That's what they do in the academy. Like it's, it's like joining the army. Like it's you're not learning to kill people, but like you're learning how to do unarmed combat. Like Ellis Ken's running at you and not passing. And you're just like, this is great. Yeah. He's got to keep the ball, and two of us are just going to smash him every single time. It's such fun. Anything else to add on Leinster? I'm talking about, I know we were talking about Toulouse against Leinster. Leinster, how do they match up against Toulouse? Um, I mean, there's, uh, do they have the kind of uh, 
La Rochelle qualities that um, everyone thinks is Leinster's kryptonite, as in two men who are six foot ten and three feet water. They do have three feet yeah, front they, to back. Yeah, <laughs> they they do they do, but like against Saracens there was no crowd against La Rochelle who have a very big home crowd. Leinster were playing away. There was no Johnny Sexton against Saracens. There was no uh, Tyke Furlong. Um, there was no Jack McGrath at that stage uh, for, for Leinster. And Leinster are playing at home. They're pretty much a full team. Um, Toulouse have to travel back and forth in the same week and like ball and play. So Toulouse, Toulouse would need, I think Toulouse need a huge amount of things to go for them. And I think that over the course, like Le- Leinster win this eight times out of ten, more. Like their set piece is good enough to deliver to, to lose. They need to be reft off the park. Their place kicking is good enough. If they lose Johnny Sexton, Ross Byrne can come in. If they lose uh, Gibson Park, uh, Luke McGrath can come in. Like the the big drop would be if both props got injured early. Mm. Um. So, like, you know, things can happen, but, like, Andrew Porter played 70-plus minutes against the All Blacks. Like, you know, he'd be, if, 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 if Tyke Fernand played 70-plus minutes against France, like, if needs be, all things being equal, these guys can 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 ride it out, so... Home advantage is a home advantage huge, is like huge Mac- deal. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Robin McBride was discussing after the match, and the main thing that he talked about was Welford Road was the environment, was was playing away from home. And he didn't talk too much about Leicester. He didn't talk too much about Ellis Genge or Ford or Borthwick coaching them. He was just there going, it's really hard playing away from home. And it's like it, we've written a few times, and when you write about it, you remember it, but emphasize it again. Like Leo Cullen is the chairman of a communications company. It's the one his dad set up. It's the one his brother runs. It's like it's his family business. So... When Leo goes in the media and says stuff or doesn't say stuff or plays a straight bat, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not he's not being trained to do it. He trains people. This is like this is the family business. And in the aftermath of the Montpellier away match being postponed, he he went on about it for a bit. And it's very unlike him. And Jerry Horney, oh, you know, Leo keeps on saying this, you know, like just get over it, Leo. And you're there going, no, nah, Jerry, like you're kind of missing the story here. The fact that Leo is so put out by this is reflective of something. And it's to me, it's reflective of just like how principled and how measured Leinster are. Like Leinster strategically are just, like they're so strong. Because like you hear Lancaster talk about they have principles of this, the principles of that, the principles, like they, they've thought about this so much, both in terms of like what's best practice and what's the best fit. And then they go and do it from a rugby point of view. But then like you see Soraka sort of giving out for kicking the ball out at the end and you go, oh, that's great for Soraka. People love that. Oh, they, they laughed it up. Fucking they love they that. fucking love that. People love it. But then you look at the Leinster and you just start going, all of the guys in the team, a lot of them are young. They know yeah. that they've, it's done. It's done. Like we came down to South Africa. We had to get two points. We've yeah. got it. We're going to be at home. Like the, yeah. the big picture here is home, 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 home quarter, home semi, home final. Yeah. And... Like Even Leo's, Ross Ross kicking the ball out when we're seven meters from their line yeah. <laughs> to end the game, I was going, "Fucking love you, Ross." And, All business, baby. And it's 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 like Leo's fingerprints are all over that. So like that decision to I'm going to leave my first string at home with Stuart. And Stuart's going to coach them, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go down to South Africa, and I'm going to 
like tell the South Africans how happy he was to be there, how good their players the team are, and absolutely love bomb the South Africans. But just like keep the tone and make sure that like we we don't go off piste, we don't like guys don't get distracted. We're going to give them loads of things to do. We got a table mountain. I don't know if they went out and saw the sharks, but like they. They did loads of stuff when they were over there, but again, like it's just it's really comprehensive. It's really thought through. So when you get knocked off course, you're generally able to write yourself because it's principles, like it's very principles based, very big picture. And I like I think he's I think he's done a great job. Like I think that and guys like Tommy O'Brien was on the bench for that match. But Tommy O'Brien has played himself onto the bench by his performances in South Africa. Like he's like he's he's played himself ahead of Jordan Larmer. Like Leinster aren't rushing anybody back. They're sort of looking and going, Tommy's the man in form here. He's not good enough to be ahead of Jimmy O'Brien, Hugo Keenan, or James Lowe, or Gary Ringrose. But like he's he's good enough to be here. And I just think that Leinster are in a really strong position. Yeah, and and because a couple of things are have fallen for them. First, well, it's not falling from a couple of things. The way it is, is like they have a home semi. It's massive. Secondly, there's like no gap between the quarterfinal and the semi-final. It's one week, next week. Thirdly, like Toulouse had to play away from home, play extra time away from home, go back to France and come back to Dublin. Like. I definitely say, haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah. No, they have to go. I say to Des, like, would they not have been better off just staying in Dublin? And you're going, well, then, you're, then your, whole, your whole week is disrupted because you have to find somewhere to train and all you're really missing out on is like, the flights. You know, you have, to, you, have to, you have to stay in a hotel, you have to find somewhere to train, you have to borrow. You've got to tell the players, are we going on tour for a week? And yeah. they're just like, no, no, I've got to get my car fixed. Like, I've got a dental appointment. And yeah. they're just like, no, 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 change the plan, lads. And, yeah. you know, grand, maybe you can do it. But, like, it's my mum's 70th birthday, you know? Yeah, like it's, it's, it's just like all this, all this stuff that, like, goes on. Because, like, somebody, I saw somebody in one of the comments sections goes, oh, they're just staying in Dublin for the week. And I was like, what planet do you live on, mate? Like, do you realise, how many people do they bring over? Yeah, I don't know. Like, how much do they budget it for? Like, what hotel? They're going to ring up a hotel. Like, you know, somebody's going to be on, like, phone calls. Yeah. And they're going to ring up a hotel and they're just going to be like, nah, we don't have room for 70 people. Yeah. And you're going to ring all of these hotels. You're eventually going to find one. Where's your training pitch going to be? It's going to be beside the hotel. Pff, you're kidding me. Yeah. Now, maybe they can go out to Carton House. Maybe that exists. But maybe it does. Maybe Carton just goes, maybe Leo rings up Carton and goes, don't let you lose. Maybe it does. Be really nice, man. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him you don't speak French. <laughs> We're a five star hotel. Just, just tell them. <laughs> They'll know. Uh, it's a bad line. <laughs> I think you're on mute. Yeah, I've gone through a tunnel. You're a hotel. <laughs> Some of the fans not happy with that. Someone needs to stop him. Okay, on the other side of the draw, uh, waiting to face the winners of the Leinster versus Toulouse game, are the actual Leinster kryptonite, La Rogel, and their big... Mutant second rows who they'll be getting back in. And uh, Rassing as well. Rassing Paris, who um, I'm pretty sure you were about to describe as a bunch of flakes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, they weren't that flaky against Sale. Like, Sale, Sale were, uh, to media, very much the odd one out in, in that uh, quarterfinal lineup. No European pedigree. Uh, you pointed out, like, 
they actually have four, you know, great players in uh, Tulangi, Curry, Ludo Jaeger, and Faf de Klerk. And that's like almost, you know, a third of the team. But uh, they they, put, they were spirited for the first, most of the first half. Teddy Thomas scored a freak show, an unbelievable finish of a try. And then Finn Russell got a fluky try and say we're fucking nowhere. You know, they were playing over in uh, in the disco and they're just, they're just a limited team. Um, it was the Sunday match. There's always something about Sunday matches when you're not involved. You sort of feel that the uh, the tide is ebbing out. So I wasn't at all surprised. I got, I don't know what odds Racing had. Like to me, they would have been unbackable. They were never, ever going to lose that match. They could play it 90 times at win 86 of them. And how do they square up against uh, La Rochelle? <laughs> Badly. Oh, badly. They'll lose against La Rochelle. La Rochelle will win, you know, they'll win that game no matter where it's at. Uh, they played, they've played twice already in the season. Uh, La Rochelle uh, at home in March, 19-0. And then earlier in the season, Rasson beat them in the disco in September. Uh, the, the way I see it, though, is like, La Rochelle have four forwards who are better than Rassing's best forward. They've got uh, Winnie Antonio, Skelton, Aldrich and Victor Vito. And that's where the game is going to be won. It's going to be won in the pack. Like, struggling to think of Rassing's pack now. And, you know, Camille Shad had a big game in which he could at least have got a yellow very early on. Um, and then, like, they have, like, Rassing have, like, when you go to their website, they have loads and loads of players that did the same guys that you remember, Eddie Benarus, uh, a the the former um, Biarritz open side who played for France against us in 2019 who wears a head guard who used to have long hair wins his last story yeah uh, but like it's not a, it's not a scary pack so their threat is all in the back line he's got a really good 19 year old uh, scrum half who is electric Finn Russell is very unpredictable and then um, Teddy Thomas Vakatawa, Fiku, like wham him off, like that's all the all the talent there. But they're not going to get enough ball. They won't be able to live with the the um, the pack. And I think that I think that like I think it's going to be pretty clear cut. Now the one thing I'll say is that typically all French semi-finals are fucking dreadful, and both sides just retreat into like looking to kick penalties all the time. Um, and maybe this goes the same way, but Finn Russell so takes so many risks, makes a lot of unwise decisions. So I don't think it'll turn out into a penalty fest, into a sort of game that Beerits were famous for when they were good, like your nine sixes and your fucking twelve nines. Mm. But I don't see a way for them to beat uh, La Rochelle. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I. Finn Russell, that try that he scored, it looked like it was it looked like it was written for him. The way that the ball bounced into his hand and he ran over, and he's just so comfortable with the ball. Even like that that hack, the fact that he got it onto the middle of the pitch rather than it just like you could try that yourself and yeah. like you might miss the ball or it would skid off like the the wrong side of your boot. Whereas for Russell, like he gets this superb contact. 
Um, and then he bounces and he gets to it again, and then it bounces up from him, he just runs over, and he makes it look so easy. But um, as you say, like his his decision-making is uh, random. Yeah, it's really risky, and sometimes it's just bad. Uh, like the players he has outside him are great, and if you can put them into space, they can, you know, they can make something like Teddy Thomas, like that was a grand kick that Russell fed through to him, but like Teddy Thomas did amazingly well to finish that. Like everyone would have been absolutely rhapsodized if it wasn't for that chap Arundel scoring the world's greatest try for London Irish. Um, Because it was an incredible finish, and he's such a great finisher and just incredible balance and grace when he runs. And then Fiku is a very, like, Fiku has become a player which I didn't think he was, I used to call him, like, Mermaz part two. He's like, oh, he looks great. And, you know, it's just, like, actually a much more ordinary player. But over the last three years, he's become really super competent. Yeah. As well as being good. Um, And he's, he's, like, they have great backs. But I just don't think that they're going to be able to live with the uh, the La Rochelle pack. And I also think that, like, La Rochelle have they, Botia was probably the man of the match in the in the quarterfinal against uh, Montpellier, and then Jonathan Dante was sitting in the stands, like he's a fucking monster to have to defend against. Skelton was in the stands. I didn't even play Skelton. Yeah, because it was the Victor Vito, Greg Aldrich show, and uh, Antonio was very good as usual. And then Bougarit, who doesn't even get a look in for France, who's a savage little ogre. Absolute savage, and then they have pace. You know they have Raymond Rule, Dylan Leeds. Like, I just don't. I don't see a way for for Racing to win it at all. No, like, I would say I'm, I would say nine times out of ten, La Rochelle win this fixture. Yeah, I'm completely with you. I absolutely expect La Rochelle to be in the final. Mm. And would you still consider? Their makeup to be the answer kryptonite that I keep on harking on about. Yeah, it is kryptonite. Like Antonio is big and good. Skelton is big and good. Aldred is brilliant. Um Booger is very, very tough. Uh Sazzy's a good captain. Like he's your French Ross Maloney. Except he's in a hopefully. And then John Dante and uh Botti are just like Bastero types in the middle of the field. Ohio West is a big... Like, when he played against Leinster in the semi-final last year, everything went for him. When he played against Toulouse in the final, nothing went for him. And he's not the sort of player who can bend games to his will. It's either sort of... He's either playing well or he's not playing well. Um, But yeah, La Rochelle are a tough game for anybody. Because they're... They're like... Uh, like one of the reasons that they they beat Leinster was because of Skelton and because they have a really good mall, but they also offloaded the shit out of the game, and like Skelton was part of that, but so was Bougarit, um, and so was Aldridge, obviously, so was Victor Vito, and like they're they're just a tough matchup for anybody. They're a really good team. Like Toulouse took them deep in in the final, and it was just like another kicking game in in both finals actually. Um, but it's hard to see Leinster having the pack like Toulouse can do that against them because Toulouse have a fucking they have a huge pack themselves and I also think that there's uh, maybe an inferiority complex if you're La Rochelle and you're playing Toulouse 
Yeah, I think I was trying to think of a, a comparison. I think La Rochelle are like a good Atletico Madrid or a good Inter Milan. Like they're a club, they're not a Juventus or a Real Madrid where it's in the DNA to win. And like you expect to win your national title and you expect to be dominant in Europe. They're like a club, they're like those two. Mm. Um, or no, they're like those two, you know, like. Uh, a team that's well put together, experienced pros, not like not, not like a Dortmund or a Portuguese team where a load of guys are on the up. Mm-hmm. They're like, um, and not a, a super club. So experienced pros, um, very difficult to beat, well coached, well organized, um, and it, it's really on the day. Yeah, and um, they've got something like they've got... They've got big players who are part of the club, who came up yeah. through the club. So they've got your, like, Fernando Torres is like Aldrich. Yeah, you know? and it, I think, I think like you say, like like West, it, it, it sort of comes down to, like, are you hot in the day or not? And um, that sort of, that makes the difference for them. But look, there, there's rugby to be played before mm. the final that either whoever is in it. Uh, just a word about Montpellier, who... Like their team, who are like I think they're still leading uh, the top fourteen, and and like they showed up to Leinster with like half strength, like half Bs and half Cs, uh, in in the Champions Cup and got fucking annihilated, and then they get to a quarterfinal, had a very good win, um, did a very good win. <laughs> For like they played amazingly, you know, played very hard rugby against Harlequins in their home game, and then like let Quinns get to within fourteen points, in the end by just like switching off, and then they show up in the quarter final, and like they're just like there's no way they beat La Rochelle, they're they're sort of a fraud of a team. Um, like are they putting all their eggs in the Bouclier basket? Is it? Yeah, and they're not going to win the Bouclier, like. I'll tell you that for now. Bet they don't win the Bouclier. They're not like a, a team like Cast, who, like, I, I respect Cast so much, you know, especially when, when, like, they get to two finals and then they fucking heart and puke the ball over the line. You know, and they win the Bouclier with their relatively small budget. I know that they have a, had and still have a wealthy backer in terms of foundation now, but, like, that I totally understand, but Montpellier consistent. Like Montpellier choked in, in one of those finals. It was against the uh, cast. I just they're a team that's hard to like, really hard to like. I remember when they broke through an issue when um, they had the long head scrum off his name. I can't remember. Uh, Wade Drago, who's still there, pick them alls, and then Trinduk. Do you remember they had the four musketeers? It's like yeah, thirteen years ago oh, maybe. And like that was that was a Montpellier team which you could admire and look at and think like wow this is a great story of a, a you know a, a relatively young club who's invested in its youth and now they're all coming through together and uh, but since then it's like Jesus one of the hardest teams to like or even to watch. It's Yves de Manoir, not the long haired, uh, but that's that's who their ground is named after, isn't it? I know that, and they Eve Dumanoir, and I know they play like in the football state, but I'm pretty sure it's Eve Dumanoir. 
No, sorry, that's Kalam. Anyway, I have Yves de Manoir in my head for some reason that he played with uh, with Montpellier. Perhaps completely mistaken on that one. Um, but they don't play there anymore. Like, and and uh, they play in the sort of it's named after an insurance company, I think. Yeah, um, oh, I think it's Ultra, isn't it? The it's Ultra, Ultra. Yeah. yeah, and it's you know I think it's way out. It's out in the sticks, and um, and it has a big like really high roof in the stand, and all the noise escapes. Yeah, and it's such a nice town to be in. Then you have to leave the town, like you have to drive away from the city, like a long way out of the city to get there. Yeah, it's just something's kind of something's kind of broken, and it's. There's an interview that Boomer Esiason. Do you remember Boomer Esiason? Yeah, the quarterback. Yeah, Boomer Esiason played for the Cincinnati Bengals, but he played for a few other franchises as well. He played for uh, the Falcons, and I can't remember where the Falcons are based. I think before they moved to Atlanta, like a long time ago, and I think he played for the Jets. And he was talking about um, he was talking about the different clubs that he was at, and then he talked about how the organization he called them the organization, and you're kind of going like. Jesus, I've never heard anybody describe a club as like the organization mm. before. I thought like it was such an American thing. And um, the idea that all of the the sort of the administrative and like the, the ownership and like the way the club was run, their transfer policy, all like a lot of the stuff that if you read The Athletic sounds very, very obvious mm-hmm. now. And if you've, you know, just if you grow up and you see how companies are run, like... Uh, you'd take for granted. But I'd never considered it about a sports club. And with Montpellier, you sort of go, there's something not right with the organisation. Oh, yeah. Like, part of it, I suppose, is the hangover from the Jake White era, where it was just like fucking 18 South Africans in the squad. Like, that's not a good look unless you're a South African team, you know? It's too much. It's too much to have, like, so many people from a different country in your... Like, France is a rugby-mad country. And, uh, uh, you know, now Philippe Saint-André is in charge and uh, he's a nice fella, you know, but there's something that is like, I don't know, they're, they're one of my least favourite teams. I see the good in so many French teams. Don't really like Toulon, but I've been there. And like the Toulon fans don't really like them either. But there's like, I do respect that they're wild about their club. Um, and then like all the other teams, like there's something, no, that's not true actually, but like there's, Montpellier is still like probably my least favorite of the French teams. Like Stad, I, I remember from when they took on the pictures and they're like, this fella took them over and he goes like, oh, Ruby needs to be more Le Rocket Le Roy. <laughs> Shit, like that was the fucking 1990s. Oh man, what was his name? Um, and, uh. That's incredible that if he, he was the radio impresario. Yeah, and and like Cast, Cast is like a quite a a gritty town, and it's like a it's sort of the fact that they're that they stick around in games and they get thrown through the the uh, the barrage and they come from sixth and they play and win you know away semifinals like they're so admirable. Pow have always liked. I think because uh, Caban used to play there or came up through there. But Montpellier, oh, the grind the gears. I have a lovely meta thing just to close this out. So the guy's name is Max Guazzini. So oh, I, yeah, I, yeah, I misspelled yeah. radio impresario. I used two S's. 
and uh, I found it in an article that I wrote. It's third on the uh, Google search. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that the guy probably wasn't a radio impresario at all. But I think he is, and Google has worked. So there is fake news to close it out. Quand le rugby a changé, le rugby basque a dû changer aussi. Pour parvenir au sommet, le pays basque dignement a choisi son représentant une couleur. Un maillot, une seule équipe, c'est le BO. Vers la victoire, maintenant, tout un pays a fait confiance à des garçons en rouge et blanc. BOPB sur le terrain, BOPB sur les gradins. Vers la victoire, c'est certain. Tout un pays rêve de gloire pour cette équipe qu'il soutient. Sans rouge et blanc, au pas, au pas. 